It's Europe Calling. You're listening to Red Tracy, Neil Cole. What's in the news this week, especially from the UK and from Spain? Europe Calling. very good day. Welcome, everybody. Our date is the 30th of November 2022. And our weather here this morning, it's, um, I would say, sharp. It's a bit colder. Everything's nice and clear on the mountain. Definition's good. Let's get across the mountains and find out whether it's the same for Neil. Uh, Neil, good morning to you, and what's your weather like? Morning, Vince. Uh, sun's out, but there's quite a lot of cloud about, uh, and it's just breaking through, so it's, it's warming up a little bit, because it was a bit chilly last night. Yes, it was, definitely, and um, I think for the next couple of days it's going to kill a few of the bugs, but I, I don't mind that, because it has to be done, doesn't it? You don't mind it, no. I mean, we've had fantastic weather all year, really, haven't we? We yeah, have. It's been beautiful. Okay, well, let's see what we've got in the newspapers that um, I've spotted this week. Don't forget, uh, for our listeners, we're looking at items which, uh, they're in the paper, so therefore they're there for everybody to be given that information. But then it seems to um, either be dropped or not addressed in the way that I think Neil and I would like to see them addressed. Anyway, off we go. Okay, Neil, we start with the, um, well, the newspapers with the headlines today. Plans to use pushback tactics against small boats in the Channel have been ditched by the Home Office. The Immigration Minister confirmed this yesterday. Robert Jenrick, uh, another unknown who's now obviously a household name for a couple of days, said analysis showed there were only limited circumstances in which the turnaround idea could be deployed against dinghies. He said the proposals were currently withdrawn and there were no current plans to bring them into operation. Another 426 migrants crossed the channel on Monday, the most in a fortnight, and it brings the total since the start of the year to 42,588, compared with 28,526 in all of 2021. There's a comment here which I thought sums up a lot of probably what we both think. Um, I'm pretty sure if they turn round every boat so the people have wasted their money, word will get out and it will stop pretty quickly. The fact is they haven't tried it, so can't come to the conclusion it doesn't work. They really need to start rewriting or opting out of certain international and maritime laws before it gets out of hand, like EU freedom of movement did here. Right, uh, that's what's in the papers today. We do have a go at it now and again, uh, but this one is just bonkers for me. What do you think? Well, isn't it funny? That if they come a couple of miles from France, we go and we tell them to our side. Well, surely... Just throw it back to where it's come from and then pop the boat when they, when they all get off onto the beach. And then once everybody finds out, whoa, they're not letting us cross like that anymore, then it stops the thing, it stops the problem. 43,000. I mean, are we having a laugh here or what? You know, well, it's, it's, an, it's an absolute joke. For me, I think there's a connection between, uh, in the same paper that I read yesterday, um, they were talking about the fact that uh, going to, according to the census figures, the, um, the, the British figures now show that less than half uh, claim to be white, so that's 48% they were stating, 
um, and the fact that uh, it was certainly not now a Christian country. Well, I mean, I've been saying this for a long time. Not that I want to or particularly feel that uh, anybody's going to suddenly think it's very productive or um, nuclear thinking or anything, because I think most people can see it. But what gets me is the fact that there's a conservative government now, if it had been a Labour government, I could understand it because Labour is sort of always seems to be everything for everybody and it doesn't matter what happens. Whereas, you know, you do hear the Conservatives uh, always talking about the party of law and order and this, that and the other. Uh, but there is no law and there is certainly no order to people just coming across the channel. Um, if Hitler tried to do that, then obviously, um, you, you know, they would have brought in the army. Um, what's the difference between an invasion uh, from that particular country and an invasion which is obviously coming from um, probably um, two or three countries in a general sense, but uh, directed from France? I mean, I, it's just obvious that they're not really trying to stop it, are they? No, no, that's exactly how it looks to everybody. Oh, well... We can't leave them in the water out there. No, you can't. Right. So throw them back to where they've just come from. You know, it, it's not rocket science, is it? Well, it, well, you know, it isn't. Instead of, instead of us towing them 18 miles to our side, just send them, just throw it back to where it come from on that side, on France. I mean, if and we've said this time and time again, if it was um, genuine people who were fleeing real sort of persecution or whatever, I don't think anybody, certainly none of my uh, associates, would, would even uh, bat an eyelid. But when you can clearly see that it's an invasion of uh, young men who basically are coming in with their tracksuits and uh, telephones ready uh, to jog on and obviously get to the nearest hotel and be um, subsidised um, when you've got the people that they send from Britain who go out uh, as members of the armed forces and for whatever reason are back on the streets in Britain, um, they, they don't seem to get the same luxury certainly afforded to them, do they? Exactly. Yeah, uh, we can't look, we're not looking after our own, our elderly uh, and people. Right? As I say, we, we're not worried about the migrants coming. It's the illegal immigrants that are coming. And they should be sent back because they travel through loads of countries before they, they get on that boat in France and come over to England and we're the ones who've got to accept it all. That's just, there's just no, there's no reason for it. No reason at all. Well, very interestingly, you know, the minute you start offering the idea that this is an invasion... The hint is that you're being racist, etc. Um, whereas, of course, it's not that. It's just basically, it doesn't matter what colour people are coming across the channel. It's just basically, we all have to show papers. And um, interestingly, I met a couple in, uh, not far from where we were. We were out in the Campo walking and um, we were meeting lots of German people. These two German people were very, very... Um, they told us, before we started talking about anything like this, they said that in Germany, the minute they start uh, saying anything against uh, what's happening in Germany, which seems to be very similar, you know, people coming in without the papers and all that sort of thing, they said they're all called Nazis. And, um, you know, obviously, it's part of this Agenda 2030 for me, you know, I keep going on about it, but I mean, people obviously don't read it because um, if it's actually saying in 2030 that, um, that you know, that, that, uh, that these people will be allowed to come in and it's hoping that they'll be the workforce of the future, uh, that's what probably what most of it's about, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's letting people come in to work, to send money back to their families and then when they've done the, like there's, it used to be like strawberry picking and potato picking and all that, you know, on these farms. That's fine. We haven't got a problem with that because we know that they're there with papers. These, as you say, is an invasion and they're coming from uh, countries that are not even war-torn or they're not being persecuted. They're just coming over and we're giving them a free ride. How, how can that... We can't sustain that. 
We just no. cannot possibly sustain all these well, 40 odd thousand this year. It'll be 60,000 next year. That'll be 80,000. I mean, I can, I, I can imagine anybody listening to us saying that, uh, you, you know, it, it's not even anything to do with us because obviously, um, you know, we don't live there now. But having said that, you know, our pensions come, uh, come from England. And if the pensions or the money that could have been in the pension is being uh, sent to people who basically are invading, then obviously they're not going to pay anything more in the pensions or people that do need it and have worked for it. Yeah, exactly. And we still pay our taxes in England. You know, we pay our taxes in there. We've worked all our lives to get a a nice pension and and, and then when we come to pension age, we get the the money that we've paid in. So we're we're not racist at all. We just want a, a fair playing field here. Because it's all, it's all swamping the other way around. We're letting everybody come in. If I go back to the UK, I've got to show all my papers. Exactly. I can't just turn up in a dinghy and go and have a fortnight's holiday in some hotel. You know, it's ridiculous. Exactly. Okay, uh, we'll see whether or not maybe there might be a link here. Let's have a look at the second one. Uh, right, we'll try this one. Okay, so we were talking about um, the census figures that were in the papers yesterday and uh, the fact that uh, England and United Kingdom is not now a Christian country. Church worshippers cried heresy at the Dean of Trinity College as they left a sermon uh, claiming Jesus may have been transgender. These people were left in tears, but the view of a transgender Jesus is legitimate, according to Dr. Michael Banner, the dean who stepped in to defend the claim made at a sermon last Sunday that Christ had a trans body. Dr. Michael Banner, the dean of Trinity College, was backing up junior research fellow Joshua Heath, who displayed Renaissance and medieval paintings of the crucifixion depicting a side wound that he likened to a a vagina in front of the congregation. The side wound takes on a decidedly vaginal appearance, he said, whose PhD was supervised by the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams. Uh, So we're not talking about people who just basically are fringe players in this. Um, uh, then it goes on to talk later in Christ's simultaneously masculine and feminine body in these works if the body of Christ as these works suggest um, the body of all bodies then his body is also the trans body claimed the researcher Heath used uh, this painting from Pietro with the Holy Trinity by Jean Maluel on display in the Louvre to, to illustrate his point according to the Daily Telegraph so we're not talking about a Mickey Mouse source. This is actually in supposedly quality papers. French artiste um, Henri Macheroni's 1990 work Christ also appeared during the sermon, as did the prayer book of Bonn of Luxembourg. Then it goes on to say um, about somebody who said in a, a letter to the dean, one worshipper said, I left the service in tears. You offered to speak with me afterwards, but I was too distressed. I am contemptuous of the idea of that by cutting a hole in a man through which he can be penetrated, he can become a woman. Um, Then it goes on uh, to um, somebody else who said, he knew in advance, surely he knew in advance, that what he had to say would be deeply offensive and indeed psychologically harmful to at least some members of his audience. I very much believe in free speech, but he has every right to his own point of view. But why do the woke brigade scream and shout at the least sign of being offended while not offering the same courtesy to those with opposing views? Um, Okay, I can tell you, um, I'm outraged by what I read. uh, And I know that if, well, that just would not appear in a Muslim country with anybody writing about uh, the Prophet Muhammad in their country. So why the hell do they think they can get away with it in England? What do you think? Exactly. We, we had the satanic verses, didn't we? We that did. Only, uh, 
a book about the Prophet Muhammad and this and If they did that, as you say, in their, in, you know, they'd be up in arms, everybody. Oh, they'd be going berserk. So now all the transgender uh, people are going like, hang on a minute, well, maybe Jesus could have been a transgender. No, he isn't. Have a look at him. You know, have a look at all the, the things of him. You know, the, the, oh, it's just going further and further down the line here. I don't know where, well, where we're going to end up with this with well, this transgender. Well, market. I don't know. Um, if, if, if you're born a man, you're a man. We know that. And that's it. But as I, you said, if they, if they put, did exactly the same about the uh, Prophet Mohammed, whoa, God and Bennett, there'd be all kinds of who-ahs about it. If, um, you know, if you looked at the shape of a spear, and if somebody uh, put that into any man's body to actually, uh, first of all, in, uh, insinuate that the positioning would be sort of in that sort of a, an area, uh, you know, um, talking about women and, and a vagina and all that sort of thing, it is utterly the work of a lunatic. And if you've got people who are supposed to be PhD and, um, you know, all the things that uh, you're supposed to look up to, um, you know, people that go and read the books and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, unfortunately, I've thought for quite a long time that many of these people uh, are very, very weird people. And I think they betray their own uh, religion and also they betray what we have been all brought up to believe. Um, you know, why should I be annoyed? Yes, I should be annoyed because basically I've spent a lifetime believing certain parts of uh, the Bible and various things that we've all been encouraged to believe in uh, are true. And I'm sick and tired of people trying to confuse our children and other people who are susceptible and open to just about any rubbish that they are reading on the Internet at the moment. That's how I feel about this. I'm with you there, 100%. It's absolutely... I think it's disgusting that they, they, they're giving it airtime. You know, it's well, just, you know, all the you know, papers, they'll be in papers and this and the other, and then all of a sudden they'll just disappear. You know, but they made the point, they, they're having the, you know, the 10 minutes of fame and this and the other. Well, the, the, these... These uh, these clerics, I mean, they've been a dodgy lot for a long time. Um, You you know, it doesn't matter whether it's the Catholic Church, the Church of England. It's anything to have a go at the Christians. And it's almost like um, it's almost like playing uh, with a football analogy with a defence who basically turn around and start shooting the ball at um, Jordan Pickford in in the England goal. Um, You you know, basically, it's it's all totally and utterly let's attack Christianity. And I'm fed up of it. I I really am. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And, I mean, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) we've been brought up, we we, we are Jesus and Mary and this, that, that. All right, I'm not a big church goer, um, but it... It, that's how it is. That's what it, it started off. All this woke and transgender business, right? It's only come in the last 15, 20 years, and they're slowly creeping up and creeping up. And as you say, these with PhD, a PhD in what? Exactly. Insulting people. Is, is that what it is? Well, exactly. You know? I, I mean, if it was if it was just one, but as they're all backing each other up, the whole blooming lot of them, obviously, um, they're on another planet for me. Look, I'm going to link something else now which uh is more in your territory because you had girls uh we had boys and for me i've just said everything just in those couple of phrases here we go here's the next one Now, this one's about a furious mother, and she's hit out at a primary school for teaching her eight-year-old daughter about masturbation and wet dreams. She says her young daughter was distressed after teachers showed year four pupils a three-minute video of a cartoon rocket launching, a volcano erupting, illustrating an erection and ejaculation. 
The video also showed a cartoon of a boy waking up in his bed after having had a wet dream. The mother, who is remaining anonymous, said her daughter was so upset about the graphic description of boys having wet dreams, she pleaded with her not to be shown the video again. The mother said, I am very angry about this because I don't want my eight-year-old daughter being taught about masturbation and wet dreams. It's far too young. My daughter said to me, Mummy, why do boys have wet dreams? She was really upset. Uh, she didn't want to learn about it. I was stunned and didn't know how to answer her at first. It is disgusting that this is taught in year four. The mother watched the video. Top signs, boys are in puberty. Produced by Amazed, apparently was the name of the company. Shocked by an adult content and language, she said the words used in the video include horny, sexual desires, masturbation and erection. OK, uh, maybe when we were teenagers and we were talking about something like this, it would be a, a bit of fun and we might giggle a bit. This now, uh, as we're talking as grandparents and parents, it's something that has been brought in very, very subtly by certain parts of society. And unfortunately, it got me thinking a bit about this because I don't know about you. My um, my sex education was about half an hour of um, a class, a religious education class when I was probably... Uh, 11 just entered into my secondary school and uh, it was a little bit sort of um, wishy-washy you know the, you, we had pictures um, and obviously we were taught by uh, re and a religious order so it, it meant that obviously um, it must have been quite probably embarrassing to actually deliver and it is a topic which has to be addressed but when is the right time I mean as parents with um, daughters, do you think you even now would like to see your children confronted with that? Not an eight-year-old. No, no, I wouldn't. No, you'd have to be getting up to your eleven, and as you say, as you start going through secondary school. You know. Yeah. I mean, we we had the pictures of you know that this is a woman's body, this is a man's body, and this, that, and the other. But I wouldn't want videos being shown about erections and ejaculation and masturbation and all that lot to to an eight-year-old. I mean, what, what's the world coming to here? Do you know what I mean? They, they, they're not even starting puberty or anything like, anything like that. So, and it was one of them, wasn't it? Uh, Dad, where does such a thing, you know, where do babies come from? Oh, go on, ask your mum. <laughs> your mum will know. You know yeah. what I mean? It was one of them, wasn't it? Because I had girls. You know, so, I don't. I don't but, think it. I don't. But we, we sat. We sat down with him and explained to him. But not not an eight year old. You know. Yeah. I think that the problem is, I can understand that it's necessary to do it. I understand that. I understand it's difficult to do it. But I think those wor words, especially horny and sexual desires and all that sort of stuff, yeah. I think that should come a heck of a lot later, probably nearer 14. But the problem is, of course, you've got situations where uh, children as young as nine are pregnant at the moment. And it's how do you stop it? I suppose really, you see, for me, uh, they've tried to bring virtually everything of education down to the video. It's got to be a video. It's got to be um, a cartoon. Instead of... The person should be that if the teacher is a teacher and is supposed to be trained to teach, it's about time they got down to doing some serious teaching as opposed to serious. I'm going to take a little break here and put a video on because that started coming in and teaching when I was teaching. And I always did think the problem is they're not teaching at all. They're showing a video. You know, it's yeah. it's basically yeah, it's a cop that. it's a cop out. Um, for me, it means the person that should be the teacher is not teaching. They're leaving it so that they can then comment on somebody else's way of teaching. And I think that is totally not the right way to teach people. That's my feeling, anyway. Exactly. We 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 had blackboards. We had them uh, them big. Big, big massive sheets of paper on, on an easel. Yeah. And and the teacher had explained going through whether, whether they're pictures or whether they, they draw them themselves and this, that and the other. And you ease it into them. 
as they're going through secondary school. So by the time they leave, you know what to do, you know, basically, and, you know, but be careful because, you know, you can get into trouble for doing, you know, other things. But, let, yeah, just to put a video on, well, we can all do that. You know, well, exactly. Exactly. You don't need to be a qualified teacher to do that. And exactly what you've just said. Plus, if you look now, I think I can see there's a connection between the fact that they don't have religious education in so many schools now. So they can sneak stuff like this in. Um, okay, let's give you the next one. Stand by. Here it comes. Okay, Dr. Justine Hall is one of three doctors listed as working at Rudgwick Medical Centre. This is West Sussex. Now, the surgery has recently been experiencing high demand for its services, according to a recorded message from Dr. Hall herself. However, patients have been left furious at the revelation that she's working from home in Falmouth rather than seeing them face to face. The surgery's website states that Dr. Hall holds remote working consultations on Wednesdays and Thursdays and has been working locally uh, uh, to Guildford, Surrey, around a 30-minute drive away since 2015. Okay, so it seems pretty obvious to me that there's a bit more to this working from home for the doctors as well. I think this uh, unwittingly... A lot of these doctors don't realise they're being used as part of an overall plan. If you're older and you are more vulnerable, you need face-to-face. You need to meet people. Uh, to, um, the, the video conference is not really appropriate for my money for people that are desperately in need of face-to-face consultation. Um, what do you think? Exactly. I mean... Well, we we had uh, our doctor were called Doctor Banji. Um, uh, uh, what, what's his name? He played Gandhi. It's it's his father in that played Gandhi. Uh, but when you went into his surgery, he sat you down and he spoke to you and asked you, "Is everything all right?" You know, he was like he was like your other your other father, if you know what I mean. And have you got a problem? Well, if you've got a problem that's a bit embarrassing somewhere, you're not going to be dropping your trousers, are you? You know, on a video screen, you know, no. you've got to have this this connection with your doctor. And it, it, they were there all through, like, my mum, my dad, you know, he were a family doctor. No, they just want to just uh, send you to the chemist and say, just go see chemist and he'll give you these tablets and all that, without even examining you. You should do your blood pressure, your heart monitor, this, that and the other. No, and on the speech here, have you got any problems? No, you can't even get an appointment for loving the money. It's a disgrace. Well, it is, and especially as the money has gone up quite considerably. I mean, I don't know exactly what they get paid these days, but I would imagine it's around £70,000 a year, which is not bad money by anybody's um, standards. Um, Of course... Uh, like everybody else, it's far too little when you compare it with the excess and exorbitant money the footballers get. I understand that. But the economy can only uh, stand so much. Um, and, of course, you've got to try and factor in all the different reasons why certain groups get paid this and that and the other. But I think the big thing is, um, again, you see, it's this. Uh, it's the bad side of technology uh, by all means there can be a time when you might need to use the computer very quickly uh, but nothing for me will ever replace a face-to-face and no matter how much of this technology they are trying to put on us and they are trying to put on us a lot uh, that to me is not right exactly you want to be talking to the person face to face and you can explain if you what the problem is to them. You know, as I said, if you get an embarrassing one where you've got to drop your trousers and bend over and, and whatever, you know, are you going to examine for, you know, yeah. cancer, you know, the bowels and this, that and the other, you know, if, on a screen? That's just lazy. That's, that's a lazy doctor to me. Yeah. You know, it's ridiculous. 
Okay, uh, let me just play the jingle. Uh, then we move on. You're listening to Vince Tracy and Neil Coble. It's Europe Calling. What's in the news this week, especially from the UK and from Spain? Europe Calling. Okay, police had to seal off parts of Brussels. Uh, city centre deploying water cannons and firing tear gas to disperse crowds as violence broke out following a match uh, between Morocco and uh, Belgium. There's also reports of trouble in Antwerp and in Amsterdam. Um, dozens of rioters set steps on fire and pelted cars with bricks in Brussels before police moved in when one person suffered facial injuries, according to a police spokesperson. Brussels Mayor Philippe Close urged um, all football fans to stay away from the city centre and said authorities were doing their utmost to keep order in the streets. Even subway and tram traffic had to be interrupted on police orders. Morocco's victory was a major upset at the tournament and was enthusiastically celebrated by fans with the Moroccan immigrant roots in many Belgian cities. Even subway and tram traffic had to be interrupted on police orders while there was also disturbances in Antwerp. It was not immediately clear how many people were detained during the disturbances. The mayor has ordered police to make arrests, adding, I strongly condemn the incidents that occurred this afternoon. The police have already acted harshly, so I advise supporters not to come to the centre. The police are doing everything they can to maintain public order. Now, I, I haven't got the video in front of me, but I also saw a video um, which was something to do with um, the British, probably English, uh, supporters in Tenerife. And again, these people were, um, you know... They, they obviously had been drinking and then they were throwing all sorts at each other and uh, creating mayhem in uh, Tenerife. Quite honestly, um, there's a football mentality that's never gone away. I, I, I love my football, as you know, um, and I know that you love your football, but that's an aspect of football which is creeping back in. It's crept back in during this World Cup already. So uh, where do you go with that one? Well, I don't. I don't think you'll get any in Qatar. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they'll crack down on them. You know, like you, you know, with a great big sledgehammer bang. You know, we're not having any of that here. But all all these others, they were not football fans. As you say, in eighties we had we, it started. We, we had all that gangs of you know either Chelsea or United or City or Liverpool. You know, having a, a, ruck, a ruck after you know after the after the matches and that. But. And then it seemed to have died off for quite a long while with all the new stadiums and, and things like that. And now it's creeping back, but it's not at the stadium. It's in town centres. I mean, so you, so they've not been to a match. They've just got town centres for a fight with each other. I mean, where are they coming from? It's like, you know, mm. it's, uh, and, and it's more, absolutely crazy. And, and more importantly, uh, how can you stop it? I mean, I don't think you can stop it. I think it's just, it's tribal, isn't it? Yeah, that's all it is. But I've got a blue shirt on, you've got a red shirt on, oh, no, I will go and have a... No, it's, it's madness, madness. Who, who wants to go out with, like, 40, 50, 70,000 at Old Trafford or wherever, you know, Tottenham, Chelsea, Liverpool, and, and just, when the match is over, no matter what, if we won, they'll come and attack us, and if, if they won, we're going to attack them. You know, where's the mentality in this lot? You know, it just makes me laugh. Okay, here's the next one. Stand by. I'm not your stepping stone. Okay, this is about a reveller who took a safe bus with 15 passengers on board for a drunken joyride after a night out. He's been banned from driving for 16 months and was told to grow up by the judge. 
He's a tree surgeon, this Alexander Farrell, 23-year-old, jumped into the cab of the single-decker safe bus at the end of a night out in Bournemouth. The red bus was parked in the middle of the town centre to offer a safe haven to people who were injured or in distress while on a night out. He managed to start the ignition and drove the bus away from the shocked police officers and council wardens four o'clock in the morning on July the 3rd. He's from a village uh, near Fleet in Hampshire, pleaded guilty to drink driving when he appeared at Poole Magistrates Court. OK, um, bit of fun you can understand every now and again when people get a bit, uh, you know, a little bit silly, do something a bit daft. Driving a safe bus, uh, this is supposed to be somewhere where those people who are vulnerable again, uh, you know, but they have drunk maybe a bit too much, but whatever, they're vulnerable. Um, you know, do I really think um, a ban of driving for 16 months and being told to grow up is is sufficient? I don't think so. Um, I, I, I just wonder about these these judges these days. What do you think? Yeah, well, uh, here I go again. The punishment doesn't fit the crime. Driving off on a bus, you could have killed somebody on the road and, and anywhere, you know, and, it, and especially on a bus, you know, you, you see drunk drivers, you know, that, you know, they, they have these accidents and they, they kill somebody else, you know, it's, it's, and you get, you get six, 14 months, 16 months. No, you should be putting clink for a bit. So that'll make you grow up, you know. Well, you give them a six-month sentence for driving when you're that drunk, and especially on a, on a thing as dangerous as a, a buzz, you know. No, I'm with you. I, I, I totally agree with you. But, uh, I mean, if you're looking for uh, a, a punishment to reflect the crime and prevent it being done again, what I would do is I'd put them in on a six-week uh, straight into a particular type of jail, and we've spoken about these jails' ideas, you know, grading yeah. them, make it so it is really difficult. Not good food, certainly nothing like a telephone, maybe even no visits. Give them a six-week short and really hard shop, because otherwise yeah. it's never going to stop. Short, sharp shop. It used to work all the time, didn't it? Remember, years ago, they brought the birch. If you had a couple of whacks without birch, you'd not be thinking of doing it again, would you? Yeah. But why do we always give the minimum sentence we can instead of the maximum sentence we can? Mm. Yep, yeah, I'm afraid. On, on, on no matter what it is, whether it be driving a bus, murder, manslaughter, whatever, we're always giving the minimum. We're never giving the maximum. Yeah. Okay, uh, where are we going? Uh, yes, we go to this. Okay, this is a tourist now visiting her daughter in Edinburgh. And she was disgusted after she was charged £2,750 to stay seven nights in a shabby and dirty uh, bed and breakfast, which had been advertised as a stunning large flat. On arrival at the city centre, the guest said she was shocked to discover urine around the toilet, black dirt and dust in every room, and even mould growing on the fridge. The mother and daughter paid that amount for the week and have now been given a £1,500 refund and a £150 goodwill voucher from Airbnb. As they were visiting the capital for the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, they said it would have been impossible to find new accommodation at such short notice, so decided to see out the week in the grimy flat um, now I've just come back from four days in Rome and to be honest with you it was mind-blowing from the very minute we got there the flats that we stayed in was like a palace I mean uh, I'm talking wonderful and it was about uh, certainly you know that maybe that price for four of us uh, but it was beautiful these people um, obviously have been subjected to a bad experience what i can't understand is that people are going ahead with this i mean somebody has that flat somebody hasn't checked that flat and somebody has been quite happy to pick the money up um again you know how, how do, you, do you do you ever stay in airbnb yeah uh, well not only that i, I usually get a, a villa for my daughters that come over with the with kids you know but 
you know, I go, I go around here and go and have a look with Airbnb and then contact the owner and, the, you know, you, you got, you, we can go and have a look at it for when they come over. Yeah. But, you see, this, this Airbnb is just a massive organisation that's, that's online. They don't have people going out checking these because the, 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 the owners will probably clear it all up and make it look really nice and take a few photos that you can put on, on, on the web you know, on Airbnb's web, and when you get there, it's an entirely different place. You know, you just don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. There's always comment all over the place, isn't there? Well, there is. You know, uh, you're right. Uh, it doesn't really, it doesn't seem to matter what it's all about. You know, there's always that person that wants to spoil it for everybody else and, yeah. uh, you know, make a few bob probably in the process. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. um... Let's give you the next one. Stand by. They shut down the steel mill, tore up the railway tracks. There's no work around for miles, and you know it's never coming back. Bricked up windows and boarded up doors. For sale signs and secondhand stores. There's nothing for a boy to do in a town like this. Okay, now, a traditional pie, mash and eel shop has been forced to move from the east end of London because new residents just want lattes and paninis. F. Cook's Pies is a family-run chain originally established in Brick Lane in 1862 by Robert Cook. In 2010, his granddaughter opened a branch in Harold Hill in Romford. It's now being forced to move from its traditional location due to gentrification. The shops sell minced beef and kidney pies with mashed potatoes and green liquor sauce, uh, green liqueur sauce, sorry, made from parsley, chicken stock, butter and mashed potatoes. Um, Chihart, who is married to Emma, and works in the Harold Hill branch said we had shops in Hoxton, Bethnal Green and Broadway Market but with the gentrification of the area the customer base has just changed um what i did find when i went to uh, rome was you know the pizzas were just about everywhere um and they were lovely they they were definitely not the same pizzas that we tend to eat here but you can see the traditions are changing for people all over the show. Uh, and when I read that, I was thinking of the, you know, the, the, the people that I've met who are very, very proud of being Cockney, you know. And um, if all the traditions go, that's in line with the way the census seems to be talking about uh, the way the population's changing in, in the UK, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, that, that's your history gone. I mean... Uh, I have a, I play golf with a couple of cockneys and they're, they're on about jelly deals and mashing liquor and I'm thinking, whoa, hang on, Tiger, you know, that's not for me. I'm <laughs> on a, a, you know, straight pudding chips and peas, you know what I mean, stuff like that. And he said, no, well, what are you, oh, and he's telling me what he's putting in, how we're nearly even up. Uh, thing, but, but that's their traditions from years ago. You know, the pearly kings and queens, are you going to get rid of them? Are you going to get rid of all, all history from everywhere in the UK? Because that's where that's the way it looks like it's going to me, you know. That people are not bothered about you know history anymore. I think that's you know, what they it, want. I think that's that. I think for a long time they've been trying to uh, diminish England as the biggest of the countries in the United Kingdom, and I think that uh, this is just another way that they're doing it. And I've got to say, after I arranged the International Day uh, in Lanuthia, uh, and we had a couple, a couple of people turned up as the pearly kings and queens, you know, there are some traditions which are definitely worth keeping, and um, you know. Paninis and all the other nice things that uh, we we see when we're abroad. Uh, it's nice to actually see some of your own stuff being sold, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, when when you organised uh, the, the 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 full day down there in Lanusia, we could we could go and look at the food of all the other countries and we could try it, you know. And if it's not for you, it's not for you. But at least you know what other people do. Yeah. You just seem to want to get rid of everything that's anything to do with UK history and fetch all this other stuff in. You know, I mean, <laughs> a, a latte coffee, £6, 
<laughs> where, where are they coming from, these lot that are living in London? You know, they make me laugh. Everybody's skint. They can't pay the, the uh, electric bill and gas bill. And everybody's going paying seven quid for a, for a, a cup of coffee that'll cost you tuppence when you make your own. <laughs> it's, I don't know. I don't know what it's coming to. But as I say, everybody's history is different. But that Atlanta who's here, I thought that was a great day. It was, wasn't so it? We could, go, we could go round. We see all the different countries putting on all the different foods and trying them. Yeah. It was great. Well, I remember um, the the uh, the guy that I work with was asking me why we needed four tables because the Netherlands only needed one. Uh, and I said, well, it's because we've got four different countries and we need to represent each of them properly. And he said, well, yes. yeah, uh, Holland's got four. The, I didn't realise that they've got four kingdoms, of which the Netherlands is 98%. I said, well, it doesn't work like that in Britain because your total population is 17 million. England alone is 67 to, towards 70 million. If you add in the illegal immigrants, you're talking about a few more. Exactly. Okay, yeah. here's the next one. Talk about life in the fast lane. Here it comes. Okay, so Prince Andrew next. Uh, he's reportedly been left fuming after he was informed by government ministers that his three million pound a year armed police guards are to be axed from December. This, of course, being in the uh, wake of the Jeffrey Epstein scandal. As a working royal, Prince Andrew was entitled to a taxpayer-funded security detail made up of armed police who accompanied him on all visits outside of Wind. Windsor. The decision to strip the prince of his official duties in January signalled there are no plans for him to return as a senior royal and the latest move confirms Andrew faces a far tougher stance on the issue with Charles than he did with, of course, with his mum. Uh, this followed the emergencies, uh, I beg your pardon, the emergence of details of his friendship with the paedophile uh, along with the disastrous Newsnight interview in which he denied sexually assaulting Virginia uh, Goofy, uh, I think her name was. Um, okay, uh, for me... I don't give a monkey's, you know, he had everything and he's decided to go his way. H having said that, the only thing I would say in his defence, I don't know many young men who have not done anything um, in the early part of the life that they prefer maybe to change. Um, but there's things and there's things, there's having a bit of fun and there's doing what he was doing, which was basically abusing the privilege of royalty, wasn't there? Exactly. Right. So that's your job, Andrew. You go out and you're playing golf with all these people and you, you're fetching, you know, you're fetching your corporate people in and, and you know, trying to do some deals for the UK and this and the other. Now, you're not a working royal. So now you don't get your bodyguards and this, that and the other. You just go out and, and sort your own money out. You see, that, that's, that, we've spoke about this before. I'm all for paying royal family. The Queen, when, when, you know, when she were alive, pay the Queen and all that. She, she fetches more business into the UK than anybody. But all the anger's on. It's, you know, it's, it's like fifth in line and tenth in line and this and the other that we're paying for. No. Go out there and get a job and prove that you can do the job. But no, he's not a, a working role, the same as Harry. No, you're not having bodyguards. Why, why should we keep paying for someone when you're not doing the job that you were there for in the first place? Yeah, you know it's it's a nonsense. Uh, that's the first way of looking at it. The other thing that might be worth at least making a comment on, you know, people can change over their lifetime, and if maybe he didn't do what has been suggested, he did. Um, maybe uh, there is an element that uh, a bit of an element of doubt. I mean, overwhelmingly, it doesn't appear to be that. Um, but um, you know, uh, everybody changes. We all do, don't we? Exactly. But I mean, nobody ever proved anything about Jimmy Savile. We all knew what they all knew what was going on, but nobody ever proved it because he died. And yeah. then nobody's proved about Epstein because he took his own life or whatever. And, and, and Prince Andrew were a part of, you know, because he were a billionaire and this, that and the other. You know, it's, it's all, oh, well, we'll just make it, well, we'll make an example of him then. 
yeah. and this that, and the other. Nobody's had a case where they're saying, "Well, let's let's see the full facts, and you know, let us all have it." But as I say, he's now not a, a working royal, so he shouldn't be getting the, the benefits of being a working royal. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what have we got? A uh, couple more. Couple more. Here's the next. Okay, asylum seekers and seekers next, uh, but this time with diphtheria, and the paper is reporting had contracted the disease before arriving in Britain. This is the cabinet minister who's claiming following the death of a migrant at the Manstead, uh, Manston Processing Centre. The Transport Secretary, another well-known name, Mark Harper, never heard of him, insisted that the infections pre- present, um, sorry, the infections present an extremely low risk to the public, despite migrants being moved from crowded facilities to hotels. Um, It comes after dozens of migrants with suspected diphtheria were removed from the immigration processing centre in Kent and taken to hotels around the country. Concerns grew after the Home Office confirmed that the death of a migrant might have been uh, because he had contracted diphtheria. The Middle Eastern man, believed to be in his 30s, died in hospital last Saturday after entering the UK on a small boat seven days earlier uh, while already unwell. While initial tests for infectious diseases were negative, a follow-up indicated that diphtheria Diphtheria may be the cause of the illness, and the Home Office said uh, diphtheria is a highly contagious infection affecting the nose, throat, and sometimes skin. Right, um, it is rare in the UK and can be treated with antibiotics and other medicines, but these are the sort of things which they don't really go on about uh, when it comes to talking about the, um, uh, you know, the the guys who were coming in and obviously not showing papers. Now, the thing being that if Britain had eradicated this disease, it means that the only way that probably it's um, going to come in in numbers is probably through what's happening in the channel. You know, that's, to me, the obvious thing and a good reason why this has got to be stopped. Exactly. And it, the, the, that's, the, that's the best one. They put out that it's highly contagious. And then all them that have been all around him, they send them all out to all different parts of the country. So what you're doing here, hang on a minute, you're, you're supposed to contain them in one area and then get them sorted. You don't just send them off somewhere else and hope that, that uh, they can look after them up there and, and give them all these uh, the, the drugs and, and you know, a, 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 a cure for it. No, we'll send them all over. So instead of it being just in one place, no, it could be all over the country. Well, exactly, which does tend to make you wonder whether or not there's a reason why they're being sent all around the country. You know, if you've really thought this through, like um, obviously there are people who are trying to make sense of very, very strange situations... Uh, if you wanted to maybe um, get into the population with another problem, that's the best way that I would be doing it. You know, exactly. if, you've, if you've got people who are likely to be bringing in the germs, nobody's going to be able to, uh, to point the finger and say, well, that's your fault and that's the reason why it's happened. Um, so it's almost like there's an abdication of thought or there's an abdication of uh, proper government because this is just now nonsensical to me. Well, it, it was the same with that monkeypox, wasn't it? You know, they, they just send they send everybody anywhere else. Oh no, don't have it down in London because all the papers will make a big deal because they're overcrowded and this, that, and the other. Send them all out, and it's just one case over here and a couple there. And no, you, you get it sorted where it's at at its source. Make me laugh. Yeah, I think the um, the biggest thing is if we know these people haven't got papers, yet we know there's a lot of money being spent to get to the UK. And when they get to the UK, they're being put up in a lovely hotel and obviously getting money from somewhere. Then there is something that would suggest to me that the government is in cahoots with somebody or some organisation. Yeah, well, it's got to be. I mean, 
we're just giving them money willy-nilly and we're putting up in lovely hotels. That's what I said. But if, if, we had to have that thing, didn't we, that barcode thing, wherever we went, if we wanted to go even to Tenerife or, you know, when, when the lockdown had come, we had to carry that paper to say we'd had all our injections, we've had all this, that and the other, you know, and we've all been checked out. And now they're letting people just come over on boats and, and sending them off willy-nilly with all kinds of illnesses and God knows what. And we're paying for it. And that's all wrong. OK, we've just got time for one more. Uh... Okay, just to make it a little, little lighter to finish off with, Ian Wright, the football pen, pundit, ex-footballer, of course, aimed a dig at Des Lynham during the ITV's coverage of the World Cup on Sunday after the legendary broadcaster criticised presenter Laura Woods. Lynham suggested that Woods, who has worked as a presenter on ITV's World Cup coverage, is too familiar with Wright on air and it added that her calling him righty has made him wince. The comments came as something of an unprovoked attack on Woods, who is presenting uh, for the first time. Wright slammed the article for looking for something negative to write and hit back at Lynham on air. OK, well, things have changed dramatically um, since you and I were sort of um, talking on our own show regarding the football and uh, the sports coverage. Um, I've had a feeling for a long time that uh, ladies football has been promoted way above the status of the game which is being played by the ladies. I mean, if you were to look down at uh, Division 1 or Division 2 or even the National League, I think any of the games that I've seen on TV and then compared them with the Women's Super League shows you quite clearly that they are miles behind in a football sense. Having said that, there's a lot of great players, good players, uh, but when it comes to the sensibility stage of it, I just get the feeling we're all being manipulated. That's how I feel. You've got to like women's football Probably because it's mainly big in the United States of America and we're going to push it on you no matter what happens. Uh, we're also going to buy Manchester United and Liverpool with either American money or Arab money. So therefore, the British side and the British involvement in its own um, best league in the world is being diminished. OK, over to you. Right, well, ladies football. Yeah, I, I mean, it's great for the ladies. Yeah, we had girls at school that wanted to play football or when they were playing rounders and netball and all that. But it's, to me, I, I've only watched, you know, a couple of minutes of it. it. It just seems like the men's football, when I put my tape on slow motion, right? It's not as fast, it's not as flowing, you know. But going back to the commentators, right? All you need to do, you don't have to keep following, we've got to have two women on this and one man and two men on that and one... No, let the women report on the women's football because they'll know more about that. And let those men think... And, and I'm not being a sexist here, right? I know it might sound it, but I'm not. I mean, I, I want to see these girls go out and play football and earn a few quid. But it's not the same game. So just have women reporters on the women's game and on the men's game let's just have men or ex-footballers reporting on that yeah it must be quite difficult if you're in league one or league two or the national league um to feel that maybe you're not getting the top chances although having said that i watched um a program about the fa cup um it was the roundup of all the games that have been played last weekend and there were some great games i mean the th the one i was watching let's see boreham wood who were they play bristol rovers great yeah. game of football and exactly. uh, yeah you you have a look at the fa cup that's our that's our main prestige what i know the premiership is but it gives everybody from the lower divisions a chance to make and make a name for themselves on television. It's the best competition in the world by a long way because you've got the top-class Premier League could be playing somebody from eight divisions below. 
and they they go and give their all. And if they win, it's cuckoo because we all want we all want the underdog to win, unless it's against our team, obviously. Yeah. But some of them games on there are fantastic, and some of the women's games are. I would imagine you know anybody that watches the women's games say, "Well, it was a great game, yeah, but it was in a slow. It was like in a slower version. Yeah. You know that's that's all I'm saying. You know they'll not be as fast. All you know, right. You get a few wingers that will be, but yeah. the, the game overall is is a lot slower. Than, than Premier League and, and, and all the other divisions. Yeah. All right. But we're, we're getting it jammed down our throats, so we've got, to, we've got to agree with it all. Well, I'm sorry, but I don't agree with it. Yeah, that's how but I men, feel. Put the men talking on the men's and put the ladies talking on the ladies' game. Yeah. All right, Neil, that's it. We are at, we're at the hour. So, uh, once again, a big thank you uh, for putting yourself out uh, because I know no it was problem. a different day today. Uh, have a I great day. Put myself out for you, Vince. It's always a pleasure. Oh, lovely. Thank you, Neil. Look forward All to the right. next one. Thanks a lot, Neil. I'll speak to you soon. Cheers, Thanks, Vince. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye, Paul. Shut up.